my name is Vangeline. I'm the artistic director of the Vangeline Theatre and the founder of the New York Puto Institute here in New York City. We just um, finished this production called Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. And in this production we used 1,492 used coffee cups that we collected on, on the street of New York City and cleaned as part of the set to educate the New York public about coffee waste and in particular about the coffee cups that we use that do not recycle and end up in a landfill and create CO2, release CO2. Buto is an art form that was uh, born in the 1950s in Japan. And the founders of Buto are Tatsumi Hijikata and Kazuo Ono. And uh, initially it was called Ankoku Buto, which means dance of utter darkness. Dance of the utter darkness. And uh, the first Buto piece was called Kinjinki, and it was a very controversial um, dance piece um, about homosexuality that got the founders expelled from the... Japan Dance Association in Tokyo, <laughs> and uh, they they galvanize a, a tribe of artists, um, painters, writers, who were very excited about the, the what they saw, and, and they encouraged Hijigata and Kazuono to continue, and then Buto became, over the course of thirty years, a, a little bit more polished art form, um, with a form. Uh, one, one aspect of Buto is improvisational, the other aspect is choreographed. But um, now it's a dance form that is performed all over the world. It's performed in Australia, in Japan, in Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Latin America, North America, um, South Africa, Hawaii. <laughs> it seems like uh, the Buto virus has spread all over the world. And the, the interesting thing now is that it's being performed by Japanese, but mostly non-Japanese. And uh, it's still called the dance of darkness, but uh, it's also the dance of the unconscious, of the subconscious, of everything we repress. And um, it's a beautiful, mysterious art form that uh, defies definition. <laughs> I'll <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> You know, I grew up with uh, not exactly recycling, but uh, there was always an awareness of preserved energy. And we go to school, and they show us where the garbage goes and the waste goes. It's a socialist country, but uh, my mom would use uh, bags to go shopping, and everything is is uh, recycled, reused. It's not uh, coming to America was sort of a shock for me. The amount of waste, the air conditioning, the electricity in the summer, and uh, Oh, we'll throw it away, and the garbage overflowing on the streets of New York. That was always a, a big surprise. I was not used to it. But I've lived here for 24 years, and unfortunately, it does creep up on you, this uh, acceptance. So, oh, you sort of get used to becoming part of the problem, which is unfortunate, you know, living here. I mean, we know that we're reaching the tipping point with global warming, and we know that we've really reached the point of no return, scientists have told us. Uh, so on, on the one hand, every effort that you make feels like a futile. And on, on another level, it's uh, desperate times 
desperate measures for desperate times, it's now or never to try to make an effort. Even if it doesn't yield the result, even if it's too late, I feel like, um, okay, maybe there's a small window of opportunity. Maybe there's five years left where if everyone came, to, if it came to critical mass in terms of realization, maybe something could shift and people could take back the power in their own hands not wait for the government, not wait for Trump, not wait for the conventions to, to, to bring about change. I think that uh, individuals can definitely make a difference. Really? I really believe that. How so? Well, I mean, take, for example, the problems of the coffee cups. Yeah. You know, this, it seems like a very small part of the problem, but um, 50 billion cups created in the U.S. Yeah. But, of course, it's not just the 50 billion cups. If everyone um, got reusable mugs tomorrow, obviously we would uh, have avoid having this amount of trash in the landfill, which creates CO2, which contributes to global warming. But also the fact that people go and drink their latte, there's also the milk and the problem of kettles, uh, which, which is, I think, one-third of, contributes to one-third of the... Um, methane that's been released into the atmosphere. So it's awareness for one tiny part of the problem really trickles down to awareness to the entire problem of overconsumption and how we how we consume and how we dispose of waste and how we take care of the planet, the animals, each other. I think this everything is related, interrelated. Mm. I really feel like um, at the individual level things can shift and change quite rapidly actually maybe faster than if the government imposes uh, sanctions or policies because if people don't fully are not fully convinced i'm not sure that uh, any policy would be completely successful the people who are completely denying that there is global warming are probably protecting their economic investment in the corporations and, and they have and they have an interest vested in that position because otherwise they would have to uh, lose money on a very large scale basically but on an individual level we're really protecting our comfort and what I hear often is people say to me oh I have to bring one more thing oh I have to bring one more thing I'm already bringing my own bottle now I have to bring my own cup and and where does it end and now I have to bring my own bag. And, and so I think we've gotten you so much to have the, the convenience of this modern world which brings everything to our fingertips, from the sharing of information to the, the goods and services that we consume that we've completely lost touch in general, I think even as a dancer, with our bodies and, and the, the effort that it takes and res the resources that it takes to... To, uh, have access to these goods and services and I think we need to get back in touch with the notion of effort or making an effort and I think our even in the 50s uh, I don't know how old you are but my in the 40s my parents or even my grandparents lived, lived, led a very different life they, they were not so divorced from, from nature and there was not so much available in such quantities and and they had to open a book in order to get information and look through and everything is happening so rapidly that it's eroding our, our connection to the natural world which always represents to me effort that we we do not deserve to be here without effort 
we don't deserve any of this if we don't take care of it, basically. We always are thinking and about what is movement, really. For example, a flower, uh, you know, if you take a... Um, uh, what is the word when you film a flower? Time-lapse. Time-lapse of, of a flower. We don't see them move, but they're actually continuously moving. So if we don't see something move, it almost does not exist. We've gotten so accustomed to things moving at, a, at such rapid velocity that I feel like we've lost touch with the, the constant movement the Earth is moving, but we don't feel it moving because we're moving so fast from point A to point B from morning to evening that the real movement that we perceive as real is our movement on the planet. But the planet, the Earth is rotating and the plants are moving and the rocks are vibrating, vibrating at a specific speed and Bhutto is um, a way of um, coming back maybe to... Um, that speed which exists but we do not perceive and I think what is happening is things are moving maybe too fast certainly faster than our level of personal integration Why is Bouteau the form that you chose to tell this story? It was particularly suited to tell the story because Bouteau is an art form that embraces all the aspects of, um, of humanity the beautiful and the ugly and um, this show deals with the garbage, what we don't want to really look at, what we throw away, what's out of our awareness. And Bhutto has sometimes been called the dance of the of surrealism, the dance of the subconscious, of the unconscious. So it's really the dance of uh, of our own repressed stories and memories and images. Um, so the art form lends itself particularly well to tell the story <laughs> about humanity and, and, and the point that we're at today, which is sort of a tipping point where we, we have reached a grotesque <laughs> point in our history, I think, that could very well uh, take us down completely. But we still have, there's still hope. I think if we can honestly look at what we are doing, at least I feel like that's one way uh, towards healing is to reconcile the two parts that are at odds with each other continuously. Life is completely out of balance. It feels like we are somewhere, somehow out of balance. That I can feel. And yet, um, like everyone else, I am trapped and part of the problem and wondering how do I, how do you not participate in that? <laughs> How do you live in this modern world and not participate in that? How do you, do you extricate yourself? Do you have to get go off the grid? And I, I, I don't want to go off the grid and live on a mountain. I'm here. I want to engage in the battle, you know. So part of the Bhutto work is, uh, is, is accepting and fighting and, and it's messy and it's not perfect. And, and you just, you have to accept the, the darkness and you have to accept the shadow and you have to accept that this is where we are, we have to start from some place, not, not aim to continuously be perfect, a place where everything is a utopian world. I, I don't think that's going to exist, but what is the way to engage with the mess and make it better on some level and protect your individuality, your individual path, your right to be happy and protect your, your future, your freedom, and at the same time have a responsibility to others, to the community, to the planet, and not be falling in one direction or the other. Complete narcissism or complete altruism 
which is possible for some people, but this is not where I'm at. I'm trying to navigate both, and that's uh, always a challenge, you know, to find the balance between the two in New York. Do you feel like we're more out of balance now than we have ever been? I do, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's... Uh, Mm, I would say, I think, I, I go back to always to this feeling that technology is advancing much faster than our level of psychological integration. And I think we are um, carrying animal instincts and pretty much fighting for territory all around the globe and fighting for our survivals. And yet we're give, being given the sophisticated tools of the 21st century. But I... I don't think we're handling the situation very well. Because more technology, but in service of what? <laughs> of faster communication, but in service of what? If it's in service of the, the greater good, great, but um, if it's in service of um, corporations making more money, and, and uh, I'm just not sure that it's in service of the right thing at the moment. And I see the, to me, even the fact that we have... Uh, Guns, a gun is the most absurd thing I've ever, and it's a product of technology, you know, and, and nuclear bombs and, and the army and the military, and I may upset a lot of people, but I do understand that we have to, to be ready to protect ourselves, but I, something about this uh, <laughs> te technology is, is not in the right hands, it doesn't feel that way. To me, I think we need to grow up a little bit more and leave the technology aside. After we uh, premiered the show in 2015, I felt like we had zero impact. It made me quite angry, actually, <laughs> to have tried so hard uh, to uh, convince people, educate people, invite people to the show, and then I felt like the impact was so ridiculous that it, it, it really pushed me in the back to try harder and, and come back and say, okay, we're going to try again. Why was it ridiculous? I don't, I don't think... I, I saw a lot of people who came to the show still <laughs> use the cups oh. after. I don't feel like the message uh, came across and, and I had to ask myself, okay, what, what did we do wrong and is it possible to, um, to influence people as an artist? And I still ask myself that question, actually. Uh, I feel like we, the show was more successful, people came, we had a panel, we had a video that was which online, but again, talking about impact, how do you measure the impact of an effort to educate people about, about um, something like, like uh, re reusable or disposable coffee cups? How do you measure that? And you know, it's interesting when you apply for grants and funding, they want to know all the statistics and that question always comes, how are you going to measure the impact? then you have to say, we will measure metrics and statistics, but the truth is you don't really know. There's, there's no way the future will, will tell. It's something you, you have to do and then hope for the best and then throw the bottle in the, in the sea with a message and then let go, you know. But um, as, as an artist trying to, to make that kind of effort and, and have an impact, it, it gets very frustrating because you are very isolated until the moment of the show when the audience comes and then they're gone. And then may, even if you have a discussion with them right after the show, some of these people we never see until a year later at the next show. So it's such a, a walk in a tunnel in the dark with a, your hope. <laughs> and and you, you don't know. You just really don't know. And you, 
and and you you are armed with that uh, decision and, and hope that desire to have an impact and, and hope to change the, the situation but what I came across uh, a lot is we felt for example on social media we talked about this on the panel we felt that um, the the appeal that we made triggered some sort of resistance and guilt from people we noticed for example that when we have a show that's purely about entertainment and buto there's a lot more likes there's a lot more engagement and a lot more enthusiasm so I, I started understanding that we are making people feel a little bit bad because it's kind of sort of pointing the finger and saying hey we're inviting you to do this and look at that and I think as I mentioned before, I feel people are so overwhelmed that there's a tendency to close the door and, and uh, sometimes refuse one more thing. Uh, okay, I push this to the side. So um, I still, to this day, the show closed on Saturday, ask myself, okay, what is, the, what is the right way? How do you engage people without making them feel guilty? How, without making them feel like we're lecturing them? How do you engage them how do you seduce them <laughs> in, into um, wanting to make a change? But I, I know for my thought, for example, it took a while. I, I read about it. I heard, it was a process. I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to stop using these cups. And now, it took me almost six months to a year to get a reusable mug from getting the message from various places. So I'm very familiar with that resistance. I've encountered it in myself, you know. But um, it, it's... Uh, it's a very interesting <laughs> process and asking yourself, okay, how, how, and can you and do we have an impact on each other? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, how do I enroll more people in, into this effort or, or do you leave it at that? Uh, and and it, it feels like when you enter, when you step into activism, there's always room for more. <laughs> is what starts happening is you realize, well, I, I could be doing more, I could be doing more, I could be doing more. You know, we really were hoping to um, tell a story through Bhutto that would move people and impact people uh, in service of the art form and in service of the work that we do. And the, the second goal was definitely to have the impact of, oh my God, I can't use those gaps anymore. I need to go run, get a reusable mug today. I can't be part of the problem. There was definitely... Uh, but of course, you can't be attached to a result because you, 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 you I, I think you have to let go. You have to offer your best, hope for the best, and, and not attach to results because otherwise you, you'd be drowning in disappointment continuously. We, we succeed if one person gets one. That's how I choose to look at it. You know, I don't, somehow, I don't know why. Maybe I should look at it the other way. <laughs> But I, I sort of feel like if someone like you today tells me, well, it has a, it had an impact on getting a mug, I'm calculating, because I've done the math, how many cups I'm, I, I helped save the planet over the course of 10 years and how much CO2 that represents. And I think, okay, that's a good thing. We, that, was, that was worth it. That was really worth it. And the people who didn't, who knows? Maybe it takes a repetition of messages and it takes something else for... for maybe it doesn't belong to me. I mean, some of this clearly doesn't belong to me. All I can do is try my best. But you're right, I mean, there's always a... You can, we would never be doing this if we had no attachment to results. That we wouldn't even engage with, with uh, creating anything. You, you know that the right thing to do is not to have attachment, but of course, you're invested on some level.
and thank God. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. That's much too difficult <laughs> to be an artist today and to even put a show together. Forget the message, even that alone, to continue to do art in a competitive marketplace, air quotes, um, like New York in the economic climate with a real estate crisis is so challenging of itself that if you didn't have uh, hopes and investment, you'd become a banker. <laughs> and get a paycheck <laughs> and move to the suburbs and get your SUV and dog and 1.5 child. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to end there. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>